All right, welcome everyone who's joining us through our online campus today. It's so great to be with you to worship together, and I want to give a special welcome to anyone who may be joining us for the first time, anyone who may be joining us as a guest. Uh, We're glad to connect with you this way, and I would encourage you to reach out and connect with your online uh, host or the online pastor if you have the opportunity throughout the course of the service. If you've got a Bible with you, I want you to take it and go with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles. There's a place we don't turn very often. The Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, and I want you to find the 16th chapter and then just hold that ready for a few minutes. This is week two of a very brief three-week sermon series called Made for Worship. And more than anything else, what I want to accomplish or do in this series is drive home the truth that worship is a lifestyle where we give to God the honor that He alone is due, and we do that every single day. I don't know if you ever read or have ever read anything from Max Lucado, but in his book called Cure for the Common Life, he writes about using your uniqueness to make a big deal out of God every single day of your life. Now, because I don't have time to talk about everything that means, I just want to want to focus on one part of it. I really like that idea of making a big deal out of God every single day because God is a big deal. I mean, there's no bigger deal than God. So let me just ask you a question. Let's just think about our everyday lives for just a moment. What's a big deal for you day in and day out? I mean, as you go through your everyday life, if I, if I was just talking to you alone one-on-one and I ask you, what, what was a big deal for you today? What would you say? Maybe it would be some kind of a mistake you made, maybe some difficulty or inconvenience you had to endure. You wouldn't believe it. I went to the store today or I went to the restaurant today and the waiter was so rude or the, the, the person behind the counter was so rude, acting like I wasn't there. Maybe it's a bad experience like that. Maybe it's a bad driver. I've made a big deal out of bad drivers in my life plenty of times. I know this isn't always the case, but it's easy sometimes, if we're honest, to make a big deal all day long about something that in the scope of time and eternity really doesn't matter at all. Why not embrace the everyday opportunity to make a big deal out of what, or rather who, really does matter? Look at these words on the screen. I love this verse from Psalm 70, verse 4. The psalmist says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, let God be exalted. That's such a good verse. I want to read it again. Listen to it close. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation, note this, always say, let God be exalted. The Hebrew word for exalted there is the word gadol. And it literally means to make great. And so if I were going to take Psalm 70 and verse 4, that verse we just read twice, and I were to paraphrase it, put it in my own words, it would sound something like this. Everyone who seeks and celebrates God, who loves the salvation he offers, should make a big deal out of God every single day. Now think about the kind of impact it would have on your life if you made it your goal to make a big deal out of God every single day, to exalt God, to make a big deal out of God every single day. 
I'm confident that would help all of us embrace and experience this lifestyle of worship that we're talking about. I told you last week that I absolutely love the opportunities we have to come together each weekend for what we might call scheduled times of worship. I love the opportunity to come together as a spiritual family or a spiritual community to experience scheduled times of worship. I believe this is the will of God for all believers. I believe the Bible teaches us that in a variety of different ways. But I also told you last week that worship needs to be more than just a scheduled event on our weekly calendar. One of the problems that can come with scheduled worship is it can become more about the event, the scheduled event, than it is about God. Now, we talked about that a little bit last week with regard to weekend services. Let me make it a little bit more personal here this, uh, in my introduction to this message. I, I try to have a daily quiet time with God. I'm sure many of you do as well. Uh, and you can easily describe a daily quiet time with God as a time of personal worship. I, I view it that way. And so I get up pretty much at the same time every morning, and I go to the same spot in my house every morning, and I read a daily devotion every morning, and I pray, and I connect with God. I worship God that way. But if I'm not careful, and I'm pretty sure that many of you could say the same thing, if I'm not careful, that daily time of connection with God, that daily time of devotion, that daily time of worship can become just another thing that I check off of my daily to-do list because sometimes it can be more about just getting it done than genuinely connecting with or worshiping God. There's a word to describe that kind of thing when we are just going through the motions of something. It's an odd word that we don't use in everyday language very often, but it's the word perfunctory. Perfunctory. Perfunctory means literally performed merely as a routine or duty. It can also mean lacking interest, lacking care, and lacking enthusiasm. And sometimes our experienced, or excuse me, our scheduled designated times of worship can be that way. They can be performed merely as a routine. They can lack interest and care and enthusiasm. And when we do that, whether it's in our individual lives as we try to connect with and worship God, or whether we do it as we come together as a spiritual community each weekend, like we're doing right now, although we're doing it a little different because we're doing it digitally, then that's a far cry from living each day with the priority of making a big deal out of God. You don't make a big deal out of God by just going through the motions ever. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do to make sure that we are continually cultivating this lifestyle of worship where every single day we make a big deal out of God? What are we going to do to make sure that when we come together in this setting or a setting like this, whether, again, it's in person or whether you're joining us and worshiping digitally, that we're not only celebrating God, but we're connecting with Him in a genuine way, in a personal way? Well, those questions bring us to our text, which is 1 Chronicles chapter 16. But before we read the passage together, uh, let me just give you a little context. This passage describes a celebration service or a worship service King David organized for the people of Israel. The purpose of the celebration, the purpose of the worship, was that the Ark of the Covenant was being brought to Jerusalem to be placed in a special tent David had prepared. 
I don't know if you know the story or not about the Ark of the Covenant beyond the uh, Indiana Jones movie, but uh, some years before this, the Ark had been taken by the enemies of the Israelites, the Philistines. It had been plundered as a part of a battle. It had been taken off during a time of war. Several months later, the Ark had been returned to Israel, and it had been kept safe for the last 20 years in a city about 10 miles north of Jerusalem, but now David decides it's time to bring the ark to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is now the capital city of the, of the newly united nation of Israel. But David wants this to be more than just a transport. He wants this to be a celebration. He wants this to be an opportunity to really genuinely worship God. And when you look at the story, there are some powerful lessons about how to make our scheduled or designated times of worship, everything that they should be so that we're fulfilling the role, or or not the role, the goal rather, of making a big deal out of God when we're together. So if you got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want you to follow along as I read. Now, we're going to, it's verses 1, it's verse 1 all the way down through verse 36. I'm not going to read that entire passage. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or excuse me, 1 Chronicles If I said Corinthians earlier, I meant Chronicles. Sorry about that. I'm going to read from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1, down through verse 10, and then I'm going to skip down to the end of the passage and read verses 34 through 36. You follow along as I read. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, and then that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy. Sometimes I just don't want to read the names. They're kind of complicated. They were to play the lyres and harps, Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. That day, David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name, Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Now, that's verse 10. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 34 to verse 36. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. We'll stop right there. Now, as I said, there are some important lessons we can learn in this text that we apply to our lives when it comes to worshiping God and making sure we make a big deal out of God when we worship, whether it be on a personal level or whether it be corporately together with other believers. And so, if you're someone who likes to take notes, I want you to write down the first thing. And just like I did last week, I'm just going to use a single word for each lesson. The first word I want you to write down is the word preparation. One thing you have to notice when you read this story is that nothing about this day of celebration and worship was spur of the moment. It required a significant amount of planning and preparation 
because it was such a big deal and was bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the capital city of Jerusalem and because David had invited the entire nation of Israel to be in attendance. And so there were things that had to be done in advance. He had to make sure that the tent that would house the Ark was complete and that the Ark was transported to Jerusalem the right way by the right people. He had to provide food for all the people who were assembled. That would have been thousands upon thousands, even more than that, friends. That would have been tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of people who would have been there. And if you look back at 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 3, you see that David gave each man and woman, note this, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Now, this wasn't one per family. The text specifically says he gave one of each to each Israelite man and woman. Can you imagine the sheer amount of planning and preparation that had to go into the preparation of that food? Along with that, he had to make sure the Levites were assembled to pray and minister before the ark. He had to make sure that Asaph and all of his brothers would be prepared to sing psalms of thanks, and you could go on and on and on. The bottom line is there was a lot of preparation for this day of celebration. There was a lot of preparation for this day of worship. I'm sure it doesn't surprise you to know that a lot of preparation goes into the planning of our weekend services here at Mount Pleasant and all, all of our impact campuses. Uh, nothing that you see or you hear or you experience, whether you worship in person or online, just happens. It's all the result of planning and preparation. I've never stepped up to this pulpit without having spent a, a significant amount of time in preparation. Our worship team never steps on the platform without a significant time of rehearsal and preparation, all the people working behind the scenes, especially for you with regard to this online offering, have spent a lot of time in planning and preparation. Preparation for worship is because God is worthy of our very best effort in every detail. But listen, the importance of preparation is, is not just for everyone on this side of the pulpit, so to speak, or on this side of the camera so to speak. It needs to be there for all of us. It needs to be there for you on the other side of the pulpit or on the other side of the camera. And so I guess I would just ask the honest question, how much time do you take in preparing yourself for these specific times and these specific opportunities for worship? Now, that might sound like an absolutely ridiculous question to someone who has a young family because it's all you can do. It takes every ounce of strength and fortitude you have just to get your family together for worship, whether you're coming to worship in person or whether you're doing it online. I get that. But that doesn't minimize the power and the importance of preparation, even if that preparation is just simply finding a way on Saturday night or on Sunday morning to quiet your heart, to ask God to fill you or meet you or speak to you in a special way, to draw near to you as you draw near to Him. It might be turning off your phone at some point on Saturday evening, late afternoon, early evening, turning off your phone on Sunday, taking a break from anything related to social media or the Internet. It could be a number of different things. It's the same way with your morning devotion. It could be when you get out of bed, everything you do from washing your face to brushing your teeth, drinking your morning coffee, whatever your routine is, You find a way as you do that to begin to say, thank you, God, for another day of life, and you begin to set your 
heart and your mind and your thoughts toward the blessing of meeting with God in a time of personal devotion, personal worship. The bottom line is this. Something as significant, as absolutely significant as meeting with God, of drawing near to God in worship requires, deserves some level of preparation. And if we give it that in the end, the experience will be more meaningful than it's ever been before because we'll be better prepared. And so the first word is preparation. The second word, and you want to write this down if you take notes, is the word attitude. And what I mean by that is genuine times of celebration and worship require an attitude of praise and thanksgiving. Here's why I say that. If you look back at our text, verse 7 tells that David committed a man named Asaph and his associates, or committed to, rather, a man named Asaph and his associates, a psalm of thanks to the Lord. Or in other words, a song, a song of thanks to the Lord. Look at how that psalm or that song begins. We look back at our text, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 10. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Now there is, at least to me, a very clear theme in this psalm or a very clear attitude in this psalm, this song. It's an attitude of praise and thanksgiving. And that needs to be our same attitude every time we gather together to worship. We begin with thanksgiving, and when we begin with thanksgiving, if it's genuine, if it's from the heart, that thanksgiving will always work its way into praise. I think about that for myself in my daily times of devotion, my daily times of worship. And I try every single morning to say what I just said a moment ago. I try every single morning in my time alone with God to consciously think and say these words, Lord, thank you for another day of life. Thank you, God, for another day of life. And I do that because there was a time when I didn't know if I was going to experience another day of life. So I don't take that for granted today. And when I say that, when I say thank you, God, for another day of life, and I begin to pray with that as a foundation, then I begin to mention all the different things that I'm thankful for in my life. I'm thankful for my wife. We've been married for 39 years. I'm thankful for my children, Andrew and Tricia. I'm thankful for their spouses, my daughter-in-law, Kara, my son-in-law, Morgan. I'm thankful for my grandchildren. I'm thankful for my extended family, for my friends. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for the churches, all the churches that I have served over the years. And I can go on and on and on. Before I know it, because of all the things that I'm thankful for that God is responsible for in my life, then I am praising him for his goodness and his faithfulness and his provision and his blessing and on and on and on. And that's a wonderful experience. Now, having said that, Are there mornings when I wake up and I don't feel thankful? Well, the short answer is yes. But those mornings aren't an indictment on God. They're an indictment on me. They're an indictment on my sinfulness. They're an indictment on my failure or my inability in the moment to trust God with whatever is burdening my heart. Here's the bottom line. Our attitude is everything when it comes to our experience of worship, whether it's in a private setting or in a public setting like this. One thing I will do when my attitude is not right, when it's not good, is oftentimes I'll recognize that and I'll just pause what I'm doing and I'll listen to some music, always Christian music, 
I can listen to a variety of different styles. But recently, not that long ago, I got up and I, I had a pretty bad attitude on that morning. I was, I, was, I was upset about something. I was worried about something. And that's all that I could think of. And I, I began to read my daily devotion. I realized I was just wasting my time, not because it wasn't a good devotion or because it wasn't relevant to my life, but because my attitude was so bad. And so I just put that down and I opened up my computer and I listened to this song. I'm just going to play a portion of it today. It's called We Bow Low. I want you just to listen to a portion of it. We invite you in, God. Have your way in us. Have your way in us, oh God. We bow low. We bow low. Faces down to the ground. In your presence, Lord, with our tears, we wash your feet. We bow low, we bow low, falling on our knees. We bow low, we bow low to the King of Kings. recreate that moment and what it was like for me and my private worship with God that morning but I can tell you that there's only one way to describe what happened in my heart as a result of listening to that song and and that is it just wrecked me it wrecked me as I reminded 
I was reminded of how big and all-encompassing God is and how deserving he is of my praise even on my bad days, and my attitude was changed. My personal time of worship became significant that morning because attitude is everything when it comes to worship, whether it's you alone with God or whether it's all of us together in some corporate setting, digitally or in person, attitude is everything when it comes to our worship. Let me give you a third word. The third word is attention. And what I mean by that is when we come together for worship, God deserves our undivided attention. I want you to look back with me at uh, our text today. If you've got 1 Chronicles 16 still open there, and I'm going to read verse 11. We didn't read this verse in the public reading of Scripture, uh, but I want to highlight one verse in particular, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 11. That verse reads like this in my New International Version Bible. Look to the Lord and his strength. Now listen to this part. Seek his face always. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. I love the way that reads because I love that phrase, seek his face always. But here's what we need to understand. That phrase, seek his face always, doesn't mean that you're looking for God. It means you're looking to God. doesn't mean you're looking for God. It means you're looking to God. Seek his face always. In other words, it means you're giving him your undivided attention. Why is that important when it comes to worship? Well, the truth is, there are times when we come to seek and draw near to God in worship, but it doesn't happen because we allow too many distractions to get in our way, too many distractions to keep us from giving God our undivided attention. I think that's sometimes is especially true when we're worshiping online. And don't misunderstand me or take that the wrong way. The reason why I say that is because I've been there. I mean, there was a time when online worship was all we had. And I would be here during the week to record the service. Our folks would be here during the week to record the service. But just like you, on Saturday night and Sunday morning, I logged on to worship. And I can remember all kinds of things that distracted me when I was doing that. When those distractions come, that's when we need to remember these words. 1 Corinthians 16, 11, look to the Lord and his strength. And then this is the phrase in particular, seek his face always. Remember, it's not that we're looking for God. It's we're looking to God always, constantly, all the time. And honestly, friends, that's what worship is. It's seeking God's face. It's seeking God in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his majesty. It's keeping our eyes focused. On him. If you don't do that, then you can easily be distracted. If you don't have that commitment, then there are a lot of things that can distract you and keep you from experiencing the full blessing and benefit of worship. Here's a fourth word. The fourth word is offering. Last week, uh, we, I shared a message called uh, Worship is a Lifestyle or a Lifestyle of Worship. And I looked at Romans 12, verses 1 through 8, and I told you that there were three words that were either stated or, or uh, suggested in that text that teach us what we need to experience a lifestyle of worship. And one of those words was sacrifice. And I told you that we experience a lifestyle of worship through sacrifice because we understand that worship is about what we give, not what we get, what we offer, not what we receive, what we sacrifice, not what we require. And we see David affirming that same truth here in our passage. 
Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 28 and 29. Again, this is not a part that we read, but it's good for us to pause here and read these particular verses. 1 Chronicles 16, 28 and 29, David says, Ascribe to the Lord, O, family, o families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, and note this, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. He talks about bringing an offering in worship, and here's what I want you to understand. Giving to God is a part of worship. It's a significant part of worship. Now, we know what that looks like from a practical standpoint when it comes to weekend services, because uh, every time we gather for weekend worship or corporate worship, we receive an offering. There's a practical side to that. I've told you this many times, and I'll probably tell you this uh, many times in the future. Uh, ministry requires money. It requires the financial support of the people, especially ministry that's done on the level that we do ministry here at Mount Pleasant and all of our impact campuses. Not everybody got to experience this, but last weekend during our 915 service, we actually connected live with Ajay and Indu Law and the CICM family in Demo. It was uh, somewhere around 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night for them, and we participated digitally in a very brief hospital dedication uh, because the hospital, the new hospital has been a project that's dear to their hearts and our hearts for a long time. I don't know how much money we gave altogether, but it was over a half a million dollars. And so in that service, and I apologize, it was that service only, we couldn't do it on Saturday night, we couldn't uh, uh, pre-record it, we couldn't turn it around quick enough to show it at 11 o'clock, but for a brief time during 9.15, we connected with them for the hospital dedication because we had given, again, over half a million dollars to build that building, and that's just an example of uh, the level of ministry we're involved in at this church. We give in part to make an impact on the community and the world, but listen, friends, there's another critical reason why we give, another critical aspect of giving that we can't ignore. We give as worship. We give as worship. We worship God when we give a portion of what he's given to us back to him to accomplish his plan and his purposes in the world. But that giving is not just limited to money. We give back to God. We sacrifice and give to God in every area of our lives. I mean, what can that look like in your life and mine? Well, somebody could say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the sacrifice. I'm going to make the sacrifice and give the offering of a weekly fast in order to spend more time alone with God. I think a simple definition of fasting is removing one thing from our life to make room for another thing. So we remove one thing from our life, like maybe a meal, one meal a week, to make more room for God in our lives during that same period of time. So someone can say, I'm going to fast during lunch every Wednesday and dedicate that time to drawing near to God. Someone can say, I'm going to fast not just food. Someone can say, I'm going to offer up or sacrifice uh, television or music or, or internet or, or social media or something like that for a certain amount of time or for a certain amount of time every week so I can spend that time in silence and solitude with God. Someone could say, I'm going to sacrifice or, or give what I normally do with my life on a Thursday so that I can come to Mount Pleasant and serve in the Impact Center on Impact Thursday, or on a Saturday morning so I could come and serve in the Impact Center on Impact Saturday. When we worship God, when we genuinely worship God, when we're making a big deal out of God, we should bring an offering. We should have an offering, make a sacrifice of something to Him, however large or small it may be. And then there's one final word, and that's the word trust. 
And we're going to go all the way down to the very end of our passage to see this. These are verses that we read earlier. In fact, we're just going to read one verse here to make the point of trust, and that's verse 35. Because right at the very end of the psalm, before the last verse, David says, Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. You know, when it comes to worshiping God, there will always be a time when we pour out our hearts to him. There will always be a time when we give him all of our burdens and all of our cares and we tell him our needs and we ask for his help. And that's what we see here in verse 35. Save us, O God, our Father, or excuse me, O God, our Savior. But I want you to notice, and this may seem insignificant to you at first, but I want you to notice with me that that doesn't happen until the very end of the psalm. It doesn't happen in the beginning. It happens in the end. The beginning of the psalm is filled with thanksgiving and praise. It's not until the end where we see David asking God for help, asking God for deliverance. Why do you think that is? Why do we begin with praise and thanksgiving and end with asking for help? Why did David do it in that order? Well, I think it might be as simple as this. Our problems aren't the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. And our first priority is always to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. And so when we bring him our burdens, our cares and concerns, we need to do that in the context of a heart that's completely surrendered to him in thanksgiving and praise and adoration. So that's why we begin with the praise and the thanksgiving, the adoration, and then we share our burdens and our concerns. Not that they're not important to God, because they absolutely are. You know that. But we just keep it in perspective. It helps us to not be always approaching God first and foremost with a laundry list of all the things that we need in our lives. It's almost a way of saying, in doing it in that order, beginning with praise and thanksgiving and adoration and those things, and not talking about our needs until later, it's almost like saying we can trust God with the details of our lives it doesn't have to be the first thing out of our mouth. We can trust him even with the frightening and the burdensome details of our lives. And so we begin by giving him the honor and the glory that he deserves. And who knows, friends, maybe when we do that, when we begin our time of worship with God, focusing on God and God alone, focusing on thanksgiving and praise and giving him the honor that he does, that he, that he alone is due, then maybe that helps us not fixate on our problems. Maybe, maybe that helps us to get so wrapped up in the worship of God, in the, in the glory and the splendor of God, that we might be thinking to ourselves, you know, I don't know why I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I don't know why I'm sick or going through this physical problem. I don't know why I'm, I'm experiencing the trials I am, but here's what I do know. I do know that I can trust God because of who he is. And that's so very important. And so those are, some, those are some words that can help us learn lessons about worshiping God in a powerful and an effective way. And I hope that speaks to your heart on some level. But I need to close, and so I'm going to close like this. It's going to be a little bit different today. I want to close by leading you in prayer. And I'm just asking those of you who are there at home, just right where you are, to just be willing to participate in this, but I'm also going to say you don't have to. I don't, I don't ever want to force someone to do something that they're not comfortable to do, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to bow my head, and I'm going to offer a simple prayer 
broken up in different phrases. And if you're willing, I want you to repeat my words just as a way of affirming our understanding and our desire to worship God every opportunity we have in a way that makes a big deal out of God. And so I want you to bow with me, and I'd love it if you would repeat these words after me. Dear God, you alone are worthy of my worship today. You are worthy of my very best effort. You are worthy of my thanksgiving and praise. You are worthy of my undivided attention. You are worthy of my offering. You are worthy to be trusted with the details of my life. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.